Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our five-part Wednesday evening series entitled Beyond the Doors. In this series, we will journey through the doors of our church and learn how to represent Christ in society. With part four of the series entitled The Door of Celebration, here is the lead pastor, Rex Johnson. And tonight, we're going to talk about... uh, we created this little series. We're going to talk about the door, going beyond the door of celebration. I believe that church ought to be the happiest place in all the world. And I think when you go to a happy church, you ought to take that joy home with you. And your house ought to be the happiest house on the block. And I think when you leave your house and go to your job, you ought to be the happiest person on the job. They ought to wonder why you're smiling all the time. My dad used to tell me, my dad used to tell me, he said, son, preach the gospel everywhere you go and when necessary, use words, but preach. Preach with your life. Preach with your, with your dignity. Preach with what you have on the inside. And so we're going to talk about celebration. Now, I'm not trying to preach in, you into a brouhaha. I never have done that. But I'm going to say some things tonight that might preach me into a brouhaha, Okay. I might get beside myself tonight. Is that all right if I get beside myself? Is that okay? Because I enjoy talking about celebrating Jesus Christ. There's nobody greater that we can celebrate than the one that gave his life for us, was buried for us, rose again for us, ascended, and he's coming back to get us. Amen? So what a joy, what a joy to have you here tonight. So today I speak on celebration. Now, you, you, know, you know, the thing that just absolutely hamstrings a lot of us is a word called time. We just don't seem to have enough time. There's not enough hours in the day. And so I heard recently about a man who, who prided himself on being exceedingly and extremely punctual. And he followed a very precise routine every morning. His alarm went off at exactly 6.30 a.m. He rose briskly, he shaved, he showered, he ate his breakfast, he brushed his teeth, he picked up his briefcase, got in his car, drove to the nearby ferry landing, parked his car, rode the ferry across to the downtown business area, got off the ferry, walked smartly down the street to his building, marched into the elevator, rode to the 17th floor, hung up his coat, opened his briefcase, spread his papers out on his desk and sat down in his chair at precisely 8 a.m. At 8, not 8.01 not even 7.59, it was always straight up 8 o'clock. He followed this same routine without variation for eight years until one morning his alarm did not go off. And he slept 15 minutes late. And when he did awake, he was panic-stricken. And he rushed through, through his shower and he nicked himself when he shaved and he gulped down his breakfast and only halfway brushed his teeth and grabbed up his briefcase, jumped into his car, sped to the ferry landing, jumped out of the car and looked for the ferry and There it was out in the water approximately 15 feet from the shore. And running, he said, I think I can make it. And he said to himself, I used to be a broad jumper. Reaching the edge of the dock, the water, he gave an enormous leap out into the water and miraculously landed with a loud thud on the deck of the ferry. And the captain rushed down to make sure he was all right. He said, son, that was one tremendous leap. But if you had waited just another minute, it would have been to the shore. You might ought to see which way that boat's going, son. 
But time is, uh, is so important to all of us. And that's the reason that we have times in our services. We have times and we have moments that we can cherish. And tonight's one of those moments. Scripture says that God allows us 70 years and by reason of strength, maybe some beyond. The first 15 years are spent in childhood and early adolescence. 20 years are spent in the bed of the 70. In the last five, physical limitations start to curtail our activities. And that gives us about 30 years in which we live as adults. And we take time out for eating and figuring our taxes. And I hope you did it. It's October the 15th tomorrow. And we're down to perhaps 15 years. Now suppose we spend seven of those years watching television. And that cuts down to seven or eight years. Our time is short. Time is important. And time is in short supply. Dwight L. Moody used to preach a sermon on Zacchaeus with great fire and conviction. And the whole story of Zacchaeus just came to life right there on the platform when he preached it. But he called him Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And on the way home from church, his children would chide him. Pop, they said, it isn't Zacchaeus, it's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He said, I don't have time to say Zacchaeus. Kids, there's too much work to be done. I've got to call him Zacchaeus. I look at people tonight, and, and there are people that, I got to looking up cities in America the other day with unique names, and I found one called Little Hope. There's folks in here tonight that have a little hope. Not a lot of hope, but they live in Little Hope. And there's people here tonight that have come because they need some comfort. They want to go to the, to the town of comfort. They need some comfort. There are also some people here that live in Why Not. That's a neighbor town. Why not? Why not North Dakota? Then there's folks that live in Oddville, Oddville, Kentucky. There's folks that think this might be their last chance in Colorado. Or they need more of God in Pennsylvania. But the place I'd like to take us tonight is a town just outside of Disney World down in Florida named Celebration, Florida. I'd like for us to get out of little hope and not worry about so much comfort and why not and oddville and last chance and need more. I'd like for us to settle tonight just for a little while, the next 30 minutes in a place called celebration. I think Jesus Christ needs to be celebrated. I think he deserves celebration. The Bible said he is nigh to those that are of a contrite heart and a broken spirit. And he inhabits the praises of his people. Wherever you praise him, in your car, in your house, at church, in a prayer room, in your war room, he inhabits the praises of his people. I am not trying to compare this to a ball game because ball games really, really don't work for me to compare my praise to Jesus. It really doesn't work. And besides, my Savior never has made four errors in the seventh inning and gave up a ball game in Toronto. My Savior is a healer. My Savior is a deliverer. My Savior is a redeemer. My Savior is a lifter of my head. My Savior is a night watchman. My Savior takes care of me when nobody's around. My Savior loves me when nobody else loved me. I think every now and then I need to take a little time out and say I'm going to celebrate you tonight because I believe that a church that celebrates Jesus Christ is a church that's going to stay plugged in in the end time. I believe that with all my heart. Say amen to that. 
I love to pastor people who have a happiness in their life. A happiness that comes from no reason. Everybody say happiness for no reason. Just a joy that doesn't have to be motivated or preached up or prayed down. Like one old boy that went to a church one day and he saw a bunch of glum faces. He said, well, with all due respect, I have enough trouble of my own outside. I don't need to take up these people's problems. An old Indian chief one time went to church and he sat there and never said a word the whole service. And when they come back to pick him up to take him home, he said, ugh, them people don't like me. I want this congregation to be a people that love people because we love God. And if we can love people whom we have seen, then we truly can love a God whom we have not seen. And I believe with all my heart that one of the strengths of Christian Life Church is that every now and then, David said seven times a day will I praise him. In other words, I'm going to take some time out in my life and I'm going to praise him. I think one of the strengths of this church is that we've never been ashamed to clap our hands in his presence. We've never been ashamed to say amen in his house. We've never been discouraged about a hallelujah coming out of our soul. We've never been bad about saying, you know what, I don't have anything to praise him about. Every one of you right now, without me going any further, have something to praise God about. You have something to be happy about. And even if it's for no reason at all, you have a reason to be happy tonight. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. So what does it mean to be blessed of God? I want to be blessed of God. The Greek word for blessed in the Bible, in the Beatitudes, is a word called makarios, M-A-K-A-R-I-O-S, makarios. Makarios means to become long and large as when God extends his benefits and the advantages that he confers. It means to be blessed. Makarios describes a believer in a fortunate position of receiving God's favor which he literally extends and makes large his grace benefits. And this happens with receiving or obeying the Lord's inbirthings of faith in our life and our heart. See, in ancient times, Macarius referred to the gods. The Greeks referred to Macarius as being only blessed of the gods. And the blessed ones were the gods. It was never the people. They had achieved a state of happiness and contentment because they were gods. But the people, the Greek people, were in pity and they were very somber people and they were very, uh, very downtrodden people and they did not look up very often. And then Macarius also referred to the dead, humans who through death had reached the other world of the gods and lived beyond the cares and problems and the worries of an earthly life. And so you couldn't be happy on this earth, but you could be happy after you died because you went to the gods then. And finally, in Greek usage, Macarius came to refer to the elite. It came to refer to the, the upper crust of society, the wealthy people, people whose riches and power put them above the normal cares and the problems and the worries of the lesser folk, the peons who constantly struggle and worry and labor in life. In all of these meanings, the blessed ones, the macarious ones, the blessed ones lived in a higher plane 
than the rest of us because they were gods and they were humans who had gone to the world of the gods by death and they were the wealthy and the upper crust and they were those with many possessions and the blessed were those people and beings who lived above the normal cares and problems and worries of what we call normality or the normal people. Now I want to stop right here. Then Jesus Christ came. And Jesus Christ came and he preached probably his greatest message ever in his very first sermon. Not many young men preach their best message on their very first sermon. I remember my first sermon. It was absolutely atrocious. It was the worst sermon that I ever preached. And I said, God, I got to get better because nobody will ever come hear me preach again. But Jesus, when he stepped up on the mount, he didn't preach his worst sermon. He didn't preach one that he had to improve or he could put NW, need work on this one. He gave us a 10-star message. He gave us something that we could live on the rest of our life because he preached about being blessed. Blessed, makarios, in the Greek means happy. Happy. So Jesus looks the Greeks right in the eye. And I find it amazing that the first message he ever preached in the word to his people was the Beatitudes, a.k.a. the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, nine blessings take place. Listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. All nine of those, if you read them the way Jesus preached them, he said happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are they that mourn. Don't tell me that you lose sight of Jesus when you mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And happy are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus started his ministry, folks, with the be happy tunes. The be happy tunes. Are you with me? In other words, he's saying, this thing is not reserved for the gods. It's not reserved for those that pass away in death. And then you're happy. It's not reserved for those that have a lot of money and they're wealthy. And us people that don't have the money are not happy. The first sermon he ever preached was no matter where you are in life, whatever you're going through in life, nine different attitudes. He said, you're happy 
I'm blessing you. You're happy. That word is makarios, which means any attitude that comes on you, you just cast it aside and say, I'm happy for no reason at all. I don't care if I'm mourning. I'm happy. I don't care if I'm poor in spirit. I'm happy. I don't care if I'm a peacemaker. I'm happy. I don't care if things are going under. I'm happy. Somebody needs to get happy in your life tonight. Amen. And then he turns around, folks. And his very first miracle, he turns water into wine. Some people don't like a preacher to preach that, but I'm going to preach that tonight. He took some people that were kind of happy but kind of sad because they had run out. And his mother said, they've run out. He said, what have I to do with you? Woman, my hour has not yet come. And she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. (laughs) And he said, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to five, six firkins apiece. All told is about 180 gallons. He didn't want to run out anymore. (laughs) He said, draw out now and give to the governor of the feast. And when they did, oh, I love this. The governor of the feast said, wow, most people serve the best first. And then when everybody kind of gets happy, (laughs) they serve that which is least. But somebody has saved the best till right now. Can I make a statement to you? I've got to preach the word. Can I say something to you tonight? Yesterday should not be better than your today. God has saved the best for right now. And maybe on this Wednesday night, October the 14th, maybe the Lord is ready for you to break out and to understand that you are a blessed child of God and you're living under Makarios. You are a happy person and you can clap your hands for no reason and you can say hallelujah for no reason and you can drink the best wine for no reason. Because God Almighty wants you to be blessed in this hour. He wants you to be blessed right now. Is that making sense? Am I making sense? But pastor, you don't understand what I'm under. Jesus said it don't matter what you're under. Those nine beatitudes cover every facet of your life. And you're happy. Even though you're walking in pain, you're happy even though you're mourning. You're still happy. Because I have the ability to give you the best right now. And then he comes back with a a parable, the greatest parable he ever told. In Luke 15, he talks about a lost lamb, a lost sheep. He talks about a lost coin. He talks about a lost son. I think it's incredible. And And the Bible said that the shepherd left the 90 and 9. He left them. In the wilderness, he didn't even put them in a pen. Let's let them in the wilderness. Y'all stay here and take care of yourself. I got to go find that lost sheep. And he comes back with that sheep on his shoulder and he says, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. Because the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents. He said, if... If I can get you to rejoice over a little old lamb that might have got away from the fold and get you excited about that, what will happen when I give you some big stuff? 
And then a woman lost a coin from her tiara. There were ten. She lost one. She lit a candle. She searched the house and found it. And she said, rejoice with me. Wow. I found the coin. I have found the thing that made my tiara complete again. I'm back with my husband. (laughs) And we ought to rejoice over that. That's a little old bitty thing, but we ought to rejoice over that. And then a son gets away from his father and says, give me all that I've got coming to me. He said, I don't want to live here anymore. And his dad gives him that. And he goes away to a far country. But after a while, he comes back. And the dad runs out to meet him. And he falls on him. And he kisses him. And he clothes him. He puts a robe on his back. He puts shoes on his feet. He puts a ring on his hand. He says, kill the fatted calf. For my boy who was lost is now found. And he said, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. What he's saying is, everything that happens when Jesus is involved is enough to say hallelujah over. It's enough to rejoice about. Oh, somebody, help me preach right now. Come on, turn the switch on. Turn your hallelujah switch on. Yes, 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 yes. So my request to this church, my request to this church is it's time to come to church and have a party. (laughs) Pastor, you're losing it. No. The last time I checked, heaven is going to be eternal praise. If you don't... If you don't get a grip on what's going on down here, you're going to be over there in the corner like little Jack Horner sucking on his thumb. You don't know what you're going to do in heaven. I don't mean you're going to miss it, but you're going, to, you're going to miss out on a lot of good stuff because heaven's going to be one glorious day. There's going to be a rainbow round about the throne. That rainbow is like unto an emerald, which was the tribal stone of Judah. And I'm telling you, it's going to be eternal praise. Not a half rainbow of praise, but a whole rainbow of praise. We're going to be saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He that was and is and is to come, the Almighty. We're going to be praising him with all of our heart. And you've got to learn how to come and have a party here so you'll be able to celebrate over yonder, all right? Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The first thing I think we need to celebrate is celebrate life. We need to celebrate life. Turn to somebody and say, let's celebrate life. My wife and I had a date Monday. I love my wife. Have y'all met her? Patty, stand up. Stand up, baby girl. Stand up. That's my sweetheart right there. You. There he is. She loves me in spite of me. Everybody say, let's celebrate life. life. Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Some people say life is like a roller coaster ride. It picks you up, slams you down, jerks you around, and brings you back to where you started. I had a kinfolk that used to sing, life is like a mountain railroad with an engineer that's brave. We must make the run successful from the cradle to the grave. But the one I like, you know me, life is like ice cream cone. (laughs) 
The moment you think you have it licked, it drips on you. Mine has never dripped on me. Because when I get an ice cream cone, it's gone. That's the way I take life. I just want to eat life. I want to gobble life. I just get one chance. Just get one run. You think I'm going to let something drag me down, bog me down? I'm not anything special. I just got a grip on this thing called life. I want to live it every day. I'm so proud to be here tonight. I'm like Minnie Pearl. I'm so happy to be here tonight. Everybody say life is a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't engineer it. We don't have, have a lot of choices about the way it ends. What we have is this moment, this present moment. A shining sliver of time in which to live and move and have our being. That's why I like birthdays. Y'all know when my birthday is? December 28th. You know why I like my birthday now? Because this church never forgets me. I never had one, really, until I became a pastor. Mom and Daddy always said, okay, son, here's your Christmas gift and here's your birthday gift. Open at the same time. I never got to blow out candles. But I like birthdays because they celebrate our being more than they celebrate our doing. Are you with me? Happy birthday. We rejoice that you're alive. Birthdays are not about talented musicians. It's not about astute businessmen or women or remarkable athletes. Birthdays are about being you. We celebrate a gift of joy and peace and love and perseverance and kindness and gentleness that you bring to us. A key to life is keeping this wonder alive until we die. That's what it's about. Mother Teresa once visited a nursing home in the United States. She came away confused. She said these nursing homes are good homes. They have good food, good television, good everything. But I failed to find a single person with a smile on their face in that nursing home. I'm used to seeing smiles on our people, even the dying ones smile. Here's the question. Is life for you a burden or a blessing? I want you to understand that people don't want to come to a place that will make them feel worse about life than they feel before they come in the door. Would you look at your neighbor and say, from now on? Some will say it, from now on. I may not have been this before, but I'm going to start celebrating Jesus every day of my life. Amen. We need to learn to celebrate life. Life is a gift, but it's also a trust. Life is a trust. Gifts received are trust to be invested. Herein lies the tragic mistake of the prodigal. Let me talk about the prodigal. He thought life was an entitlement to be seized, taken, demanded. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Never mind that such action meant the total surrender of the father's social security and certainly a route to an early grave in his day. Those who understand Middle Eastern culture suggest the boy said, in essence, drop dead, old man. I want my inheritance now. It was hardly an attitude of gratitude for a gift of life. So it comes as no surprise that he squanders his wealth in wild living and loses everything he has. Greed always leads to need. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In every generation, almost every family, there are prodigals among us. Let me preach a little. 
It's hard to do business with greedy people. It's damaging to families to have greedy siblings. We need to be rebuked of greed in our life. We need not to ever love money. It's the root of all evil. We need to use money for the kingdom of God and for the advancement of our family, but never fall in love with it. You love Jesus, you use money. You don't use money, use Jesus and love money. No, no, no. Are you with me? It's a harmful to communities when people are content to consume the corn, eat the fish, and leave behind the dirty dish. But we have that in our world. There's an emergency room doctor who turned environmental evangelist named Matthew Sleeth who estimated we could cut energy use by 14% if only we kept the Sabbath day holy and rested. Take one day of the week and stop driving, stop shopping, stop working, and actually rest. And it might only save, not only save the environment, it might save us because life is a trust and we got to invest it wisely. God, help me not to be greedy. The second thing is we've got to celebrate homecomings. How many of you enjoy seeing people get saved? Anybody? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bear down a little here now. I need to because I think sometimes we lose the wonder of seeing people's lives be changed. If we were raised in the Pentecostal circle versus the Baptist circle versus the no circle, versus denominational circle. Everybody's values are all different. But let's preach the Jesus value. Let's talk about what Jesus said. Jesus was outside denominations. He was outside your filter because he said, when he found the lost sheep, rejoice with me because heaven is. He said, when the woman found the lost coin, rejoice with me because heaven is. It's in your Bible. He said, when he, the lost son came home, rejoice with me. Because my son, which was dead, is now alive. He was lost and now he is found. So what I want to say is this. If Jesus gets happy about some things, I think I need to get happy about some things. If the Lord, the Lord just messes our denominations all up. But if the Lord says let's celebrate, I think we ought to celebrate. That's why I love for you to stand when we baptize all these people because what you don't know is that they've repented and confessed backstage and they have asked God to come into their life and they have repented of their sins. When we put them in that water like 84 last Sunday, a week ago, we need to rejoice because heaven's rejoicing and I want to rejoice. Oh, hallelujah. I want to rejoice when heaven rejoices. I want to be what Jesus loves. I want to love what he loves. Am I doing all right? Am I preaching okay? I'm not worried about what a denomination thinks. I'm worried about what Jesus thinks. Jesus rejoices over the lost being saved. We need to celebrate home going. Thomas Wolfe in his famous 1940 novel says, you can't go home again. You can't go back to your family, back home to your childhood, back home to a young man's dream of glory and fame, back home to the old forms and systems which are changing all the time. He is right. Of course he's right. And I got to thinking about it when I read it. I said, I can't go back to playing marbles in the playground in my grade school. I used to be a marble playing fool. That school's no longer even there. 
I can't go back to playing the trombone that I played in high school. I've given it away. And given my current, current age and all you guys that know me, I'm probably never going to play another round of golf like I did 10 years ago. The moving finger writes and having writ moves on. But there's another sense in which wolf calls all, which wolf is all wrong. If by going home, now stay with me, I mean a return to the essence of who I am. If by going home I find my true identity and my spiritual self, then I dare not go on until I go back. Because I can go home again. How many remember the night he turned your life around? Has it been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? How long has it been? I'm telling you that I'm preaching a subject tonight that lets me tell you that you can go back and receive that old feeling, that justified feeling just as if I've never sinned, that sanctified feeling that feeling of separation from sin, that feeling of forgiveness from the Lord. We need to feel that all over again when we come to the house of God. I don't care how long you've been in the church, how long you've been calling Jesus Lord in your life, that sometimes you just need to say, hey, Jesus, let's go back to Bethel. Hey, Jesus, let's go back to the place where you found me. I want to renew myself. I can go home again in my spirit. There's an essence that still can be happy in this present condition. Oh, but pastor, please sit down. Oh, pastor, but you don't understand. See, I was saved in the 50s when everybody loved Ozzie Ozzie and Harriet, and I was saved in the 50s when it was my three sons, and I was saved back there when Lucy loved Ricky, and Ricky loved Lucy, and Tom and Ethel loved each other, whatever his name was. Fred. See, I got you now. I got you reeled in. And the honeymooners were awesome. But now we live in such a world. We live in such a society. Can we really feel and know joy and happiness in this world? You know, John's in prison. He's the one that told the people, this is the Lamb of God, and I'm almost through preaching. He's in prison. It's been 18 months since he's announced that Jesus was coming, and he's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's going to thoroughly purge the threshing floor and divide the wheat from the chaff. Prophets live by a code of excellence. They live by this code that if I prophesy something, it's got to come to pass. And so, you know what, folks? I'm not really this big. This shirt just makes me look big. <laughs> I got to. It's amazing what a preacher thinks about when he's preaching. I got to looking down. I said, my Lord, I look like I'm about to have a baby here. <laughs> Jesus, I need to get a smaller shirt. Got you happy, didn't I? 
Now, so he, he brings two of his disciples in there because what's happened is all that's happened. <laughs> Man, this thing looks big. Looks like a looks like a gown or something. Quit it. You just want to show your slim self off. <laughs> but only one thing has happened. The Lord has come and the Holy Spirit hadn't been outpoured and he hadn't purged his threshing floor. So he brings two disciples in and he uh, says, I want you to go do me a favor. Go ask that man, Jesus. Go ask him, are you he that should come or do I look for somebody else? I really think, I'm going to tell you what I think. I think John was where some of us are. I think he had gone through so much after presenting Jesus that he was a little bit offended. And I think offenses are going to come to all of us. And it's going to be easy to say, Lord, you want me to be happy with all this going on around me? Pastor, is that really who we should look for or do we look for another? And those two old boys came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we, we got an issue. John's been in prison now for a while and it looked like he's going to get out. I think John thought Jesus was going to get him out. But Jesus didn't come get him out. Because John said it himself, I must decrease and he's got an increase. John, it's over for you, buddy. But he said, go ask him. And so they said, Lord, John's got this question. We think he's got his feelings hurt. Are you he that should come or do we look for another? And Jesus didn't even answer him. He just turned around and said, hey, you got blind eyes? Let me open them things up. Boom. You're deaf? Be healed. Pow. Oh, you need to be fed. Eat. You're poor. Let me give you the gospel. And all day long, all he did was just have church. Just have church. And when the day was over, he said, oh, you guys still here? Man, didn't we have a good time today? Yeah, but we didn't get our question answered. That's the way a lot of people are. We didn't get our question answered. Because the Lord's got to speak directly to me. What do you say to John? Are you he that should come? He said, tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And tell him there's never been a greater man born of woman than John. He's the best that's ever been born. That ain't good enough. They start leaving. He said, oh, wait a minute, boys. Hold on just a minute. And tell him, blessed Macarius, same word. Blessed is the man who's not offended in me. I want to stop dead cold in this service right now and say, get your offense off of Jesus Christ. He's not your enemy. He's your friend. Come on. Pull out that stake out of your heart. Jesus is not your problem. The Savior of the world is not your problem. Blessed, happy are people who's not offended. Shut your mouth right now and say, no, sir, 
I'm not going to be offended in Jesus Christ. I'm going to love him. I'm going to honor him. And when I come to church, I'm going to celebrate him. I'm going to celebrate him. Yes. Hallelujah. Jesus just didn't do me right. He blessed these people and he didn't bless me. I'm so aggravated at him, I just want to quit. No. No, blessed are you that's not offended in him. You know how I know people are not offended in the Lord? They're happy. They're happy. Now, now let me preach a little bit. I'm closing. Back when the Germans had the prison camps during the war, Hitler had the prison camps. This is my last story. They'd bring those Jewish people in there. They would gas them. They would make them stand in the cold completely unclothed until they froze to death. Any way to make them suffer, they did. And one day they took about 150, 200 of those Jews out in the middle of the morning on a cold, cold morning. And there was a young man there about 18 years old. And when they told him to take off all their clothes, they did. And the soles of their feet began to freeze to the ice and the snow. And all of a sudden, a young man, I wrote about this in my book years ago, but a young man, 18 years old, stood there and he thought, I'm not just going to stand here and freeze to death. I'm going to praise Jehovah God. He said, because I remember what my mother told me. We are the Hasidic Jews. We are they that dance before the Lord. That makes us separate from the other Jews. We're Hasidic. We dance before the Lord. And all of a sudden, with no clothes on, in a sub-freezing weather, he started moving his feet. And when he pulled his foot up, his pallet of it, the, 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 the bottom of his foot stuck to the snow and blood started oozing out of his body. And he lifted his other foot up and he started dancing in his own blood just dancing before the Lord and a smile on his face that the German said, what has got into him? True story. And after a while, one of them come up to him and said, you need to come inside. They took him inside, clothed him, put shoes on him and said, get out of here. They let him go free. He said, because you will bring too much hope. You know what brings hope to people? When they walk in from a dismal world and see a happy church, see a congregation that's celebrating the Lord, see a congregation that says, you know what? We're of the Hasidic brand. We're gonna dance before the Lord. We're gonna magnify the Lord with everything that's in our heart because that's what celebrants do. They celebrate life and they celebrate homecomings. 
Would you clap your hands all over this house tonight? I'm done. I'm done. Hallelujah. Anybody want to stand on your feet and just clap your hands? Come on. Anybody want to stand on your feet and just clap your hands and say, I'm of that brand that celebrates Jesus no matter where I am. I'm going to celebrate him. I'm not going to be offended in him. I love 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 him. (laughs) He ain't never done me nothing but good. Woo! Hallelujah. Come on, celebrate him a little bit. We don't need music. We just need your praise. Come on. Celebrate him a little bit here tonight. Celebrate him a little bit here tonight. Come on. Clap your hands. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to celebrate him. We're going to celebrate him. You can go home again. You can. You can go home. Randy, help me a little. You can go home. You can go home again. I refuse to let my present rob the experience of my yesterday and rob my joy for tomorrow. No, no, no. No. I'm going to celebrate life. I'm going to celebrate every homecoming. I'm going to celebrate it because that's what we're here to do. That's life beyond the door. Queen of Sheba said, you know, I've noticed something about your servants, Solomon. They're all happy. (laughs) They're all happy. In the Bible, in Psalms chapter 120 to chapter 134 are 15 Psalms that they call songs of degree. And there were 15 steps up to the temple. And they would sing songs. They would sing those psalms as they walked up to the temple. And it's psalms of praise and psalms of hallelujah. And the more you sung, the happier you got. I just think that if anybody ought to be happy, it ought to be us. Happy are the people. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support their Christian life ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.